St. Paul tells us today, God made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. Amen. My dear Christian friends, the opposition against Jesus is mounting. The devil has released his demonic hordes from hell in order to torment the people of Galilee and Judea with possession. The money changers in Jerusalem hope that Jesus never comes back again. And Mark tells us in his gospel that two new enemies have sprung up to conspire together and join the conflict. The experts in the law have spent centuries copying the Old Testament scrolls about God's promises of a coming Savior. But over the years, they have twisted God's promises to say that people can earn heaven by their less-than-perfect living. And the experts in the law have their own disciples, the Pharisees, with them in the synagogue. The Pharisees dedicate themselves to the experts' teachings and traditions. In the synagogue sits a man whose hand is withered. And what is Jesus going to do? Tensions are already high between the religious leaders and Jesus. They've seen him clear out the money changers in the Jerusalem temple. He's told them off. He keeps on healing people left and right. He keeps on forgiving people as if he has some divine right to give forgiveness. He's not playing by their rules. They pit rules against love. And for this offense of Jesus, they are looking for a reason to accuse him, to embarrass him, to shame him in public and curb his popularity. So here is the test. It is the Sabbath God made rules about the Sabbath when he gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. He specifically said about the Third Commandment, Remember the Sabbath day by setting it apart as holy. Six days you are to serve and to do all your regular work. But the seventh day shall be a Sabbath rest to the Lord your God. Do not do any regular work, neither you nor your sons or daughters, nor your male or female servants, nor your cattle, nor the alien who is residing in your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. In this way the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. God took his command to rest on the Sabbath day very seriously. He said, on six days work may be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must certainly be put to death. God takes the Sabbath day seriously. And so the religious leaders take the Sabbath day seriously. So seriously, in fact, that they figured out how much was work and then how much was rest. They even figured out how many steps was considered rest and how many steps then was work. So for example, I have a watch that counts my steps. So maybe if I walk 4,999 steps, that's rest. But if I take that 5,000th step on the Sabbath, then it can be put to death. In the synagogue, in This Sabbath day is a man with a withered right hand. 
the religious leaders know how much Jesus loves to heal the sick and the injured. They are watching Jesus clearly to see if he is going to heal this man and work on the Sabbath. Then they can accuse him of breaking God's Sabbath laws. Jesus takes the bait. And you can imagine the the Pharisees just rubbing their hands together for the show. He calls a man to step forward into the middle of the synagogue and all eyes are on Jesus and this man. And maybe this man is wondering what's going on. He never thought that he'd be in the middle of a contest of wills between Pharisees and Jesus. He's just a simple man who happens to have a bad hand. And more than likely, he's had this withered hand for years. It's, this is a problem that is not getting worse. So what's the hurry about healing? So I want you to think about this. All Jesus has to do is wait a few hours until the sun goes down and the Sabbath is over. And then the Pharisees cannot accuse him of breaking the Sabbath. Waiting a few hours is not going to hurt this man physically. But waiting a few hours could hurt the Pharisees spiritually. They need to be confronted right there, right then. They think that they are setting a trap for Jesus, but Jesus turns the trap on them. In his gospel, Matthew tells us that Jesus turns to the religious leaders and says to them, Who among you, if you have one sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? So, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Jesus exposes the hypocrisy of their teachings and their traditions as they forbade people from doing good of rescuing an injured animal. And this man is more valuable than an animal. In his gospel, Mark adds that Jesus challenges them with a pretty bold question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Do you see what he's getting at? What is more important, loving or using rules as an excuse not to love? Is it proper to love on the Sabbath? Is the Sabbath about love or about law? And the religious leaders are silent. They're like your kids when you catch them doing something dumb and you ask them, why did you do that dumb thing? They know that it's better to keep their mouth shut and think, and you think that they're wrong and dumb rather than to open their mouths and show just how wrong and dumb they really were. The Pharisees hate the way that Jesus has phrased this question. They know that God wants good, that God is love, that God, uh, that God wants life, but they hate Jesus so much that they are pitting God's laws against God's love. These silly Pharisees have already forgotten the last time they challenged Jesus about Sabbath laws. In that instance, they had accused Jesus' disciples of breaking the Sabbath because they were walking through a field, picking grain, and eating it. 
But Jesus told them at that time, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God's Old Testament Sabbath laws were designed to help people, not to harm people. The Sabbath was intended to provide rest from labor, not to prevent the Son of Man from healing a man on the Sabbath. These religious leaders were emptying the Sabbath of all of its love and its purpose. And then they were fitting in the void all of their man-made rules. How does Jesus feel about that? Jesus is angry with them. Not a sinful anger, but a godly, righteous anger because they have turned God's laws of love into an excuse not to love. But Jesus isn't only angry. He is also grieved at their stubbornness. He wants them to repent. He wants them to see him as the Lord of the Sabbath. He wants them to, instead of being angry with him for healing a man on the Sabbath, to be able to rejoice that this man is going to be healed on the Sabbath. I want you to listen closely to see and hear what Jesus does. Because he doesn't touch the man. He doesn't say, you are healed. Instead, muscles and bones and ligaments and nerves all begin working again when he says, stretch out your hand. Ingenious. Because by the letter of the law, the religious leaders have no charge against Jesus. Nobody ever thought about writing a law forbidding someone from stretching out his hand. So now, in addition to the demonic horde and the money changers in the courtyard, now you have the Pharisees teaming up with the Herodians. The Herodians were Jews that supported King Herod and the Roman rule. The Herodians were someone that were people that the Pharisees would naturally shun. But hatred brings about strange allies. In hating Christ and plotting his death, the Pharisees felt they needed a group who had the support of being able to wield some kind of secular power. They hate Jesus because he has shown love on the Sabbath. Rules are rules. How can we possibly hate Jesus for demonstrating love? Because we, like the Pharisees, like to use rules as a reason to not love. For example, maybe as you are driving down the freeway, you see a vehicle stranded on the side. You want to help. Maybe you have the knowledge to help. If nothing else, you have a phone to call for help. But then you have to weigh that against your own safety. Because you're, you're thinking this could be a trap. And so you pass by, hoping that someone else will stop and help. And so you have just put your safety against an opportunity to love. You know someone who has lost her spouse. You want to reach out to help her and give her words of comfort, but you don't know what to say. And so in, you put your comfort against speaking words of comfort. 
you know a guy who is trapped by alcohol or a woman who is trapped in an affair or a teenager who is trapped in overuse of social media or a child who is trapped in laziness and who is cheating. You know what God's laws have to say about these things. These are sins. They deserve judgment. And so you do not reach down your hand into the pit to show love, to rescue these herding and lost sheep who are trapped by the devil. I have a good discussion with my catechism students every year when we get to the topic of the sixth commandment where God says, do not commit adultery. And so we talk about sexual sins. And I always ask them, so what do you do when your friend George tells you that he's gay? Well, they give the answer that they think the pastor wants to hear. And they say, well, stop being friends with George. And I tell them, that is absolutely wrong. Because... You need to be an even better friend to George. You need to show love to George more than ever before. Because in our culture, he's never going to hear what he needs to hear. And by you loving him and being his friend, they will tr- he will trust you so that you can point out God's law and then hopefully apply God's gospel. But that's what our Sinful nature likes to do pit laws against love. We would rather reject people who break the rules than love those rule breakers. Love is hard work. Calling to repentance is hard work. Bringing people to the cross of Christ so that they can receive healing for their souls is hard work. Pointing to the rules is much easier. And what is Jesus' reaction when we pit rules against love? Well, then he is angry with us because we have turned God's laws into reasons not to love. He is grieved with our stubbornness because we refuse to come to him in repentance. And then that means we're not bringing others to him in repentance. If we follow the rules, we think that we don't have to love the unlovable. We don't have to love that rapist in prison or call our gay friend to repentance or forgive our cranky neighbor or pray for our persecutors or be nice to our ex or anything else because they've broken the rules. Jesus is calling us to repent. Because as much as we like to think that we are rule keepers, we are just as much of rule breakers as anyone else. That's why it's so important for us to hear again and again that Jesus kept the rules in our place. He loved us. He did both. Keep the rules and reach down into the pit to rescue the trapped, lost, and injured. Jesus did both. Keep God's laws and take every opportunity to show God's love. Every time, all the time. He suffered, he bled, he died, he took the punishment for every time we have used the rules as an excuse not to love. So what do we do now? Well, we repent. 
we ask Jesus to turn away from his anger and give us his forgiveness. We ask Jesus to not be grieved over us, but instead to change us. We admit that we have gotten it wrong and hurt people by refusing to love. We use the words of the psalmist that we sang in Psalm 38, O Lord, do not rebuke us in your anger or discipline us in your wrath. And then rejoicing in Christ's forgiveness, we look for opportunities to love, to set aside our safety, to help out stranded motorists, to push aside our comfort and bring comfort to those who are grieving, to counsel our alcoholic friend, confront the cheating wife, speak to the lonely teenager and admonish the cheating child, Using God's law and gospel to guide our, gave, our, our friends uh, out of his or her sexual sins. Not using the law as an excuse not to love the sinner. Nor using love as an excuse not to apply God's law to the sin. Rather asking for God's guidance and wisdom to be able to do both. Praying for the Holy Spirit to help us to live as Jesus did. Not excusing sin. Not making excuses not to confront the sinner. But loving anyway and all the way. Amen.